1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to a live edition of the Green Book Podcast. This is Karen Lynch. Happy to be hosting this episode live at IIEX North America. And I have the pleasure of speaking with a fabulous insights professional. Her name is Sarah Shane. She's the senior manager of Shopper Insights at Red Bull. Red Bull, if you don't know, if you've been living under a rock, it is the number one energy drink in the U.S. by sales. They have it availability in 165 countries. And I, spoiler alert, am going to try Red Bull for the very first time in my life today, live during this podcast. I'm super excited about that. Sarah, welcome What can you add to that bio that I didn't share to introduce yourself to our audience?
2: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, I'm super lucky to lead the Shopper Insights team at Red Bull out of Santa Monica, which is our U.S. headquarters. We have a nimble team that reports to the sales organization, and we inform our field counterparts on kind of what's going on in the market. And we consider ourselves not only Red Bull experts, but category experts as well. And it's really fun to be able to do that every day.
1: So awesome, and yeah, I'm really glad. So it's good to have an expert, you know, on something like the energy drink category in general, but also beverages in general. So I'm sure your knowledge spans actually a little bit bigger than just energy drinks, right? In the beverage space, for sure. Talk to me a little bit about your career. What brought you to where you are right now?
2: Yeah, so as I've heard from many folks over the years, it was a winding path. I started my career in Washington, D.C. I thought I wanted to do politics very different arena in a lot of ways, but a lot of weird similarities to what I do now, I would say. I was always really interested in why people do what they do and how you can kind of get them to do things. So if you think about it, purchasing, like not so different than maybe voting for a candidate in election, right? So after realizing I did not want to live in D.C. and work in politics long term, came back home to L.A. and after working a few different roles, ultimately discovered my master's program, which was Master of Science in Applied Psychology. And it's really like applying market research and psych principles for business. And when I found it, I was so happy that like there was a perfect program that described exactly what I wanted to do. No one told me about things like that growing up, that that could even be a job. So I was super excited to find that. Had a great experience in the master's program. I ended up interning at Mattel and in Shopper Insights when I was in the program. And after graduating, I landed at Red Bull and in Shopper Insights, and I've been there ever since. So... It's been a journey. <laughs> it's been, is it seven years at Red Bull? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Congratulations. Thanks. So, you know, you're past that seven-year itch portion. Of the program, <laughs> so I wish you a long and healthy year there. I think it's really neat. The idea of applied consumer psychology is fascinating to me personally. What are some of the things you worked on in that program that is applicable to the work that you're doing today?
2: Yeah, so I'm kind of an interesting case because, as you might have guessed, I majored in poli-sci. I did not have a psychology background from undergrad. So I really needed that master's program to pivot my career in the direction that I wanted to go. I didn't have that foundational knowledge of research methods, principles of psychology, the different biases that we have. So for me, that program really gave me an underpinning of all those important things that we do on our team, and I think probably any market research or insights team does, but it was also at that higher level of like what is actually applicable to business rather than just like a fun survey from an undergrad perspective. And we worked with a lot of different businesses. You know, it was at USC who has a lot of great relationships with the community. So we were able to consult for several different companies gave us amazing internship placements. And that really made me kind of ready to go as soon as I graduated. Like I was at Red Bull and off and running. Yeah,
1: that's great. That's great. Cool story. Tell me, were there any sort of milestones along the way at Red Bull and anything that was either really formative in your career and some of the steps that you've taken? I know you've had a few positions along the way. So just take me on that journey at Red Bull.
2: Yeah. So I think after graduating, which was getting my master's, very formative, completely changed the trajectory of my career. At Red Bull, You know, we're still a young company in CPG land. We've only been around for 25 years. That's really pretty young when it comes to a lot of our competitors in the space. So when I started, we were still pretty young as an insights organization, and I've seen a ton of change over the past seven years of the sophistication with which we do things, the types of projects that we work on, the metrics that we use, Things I hear people talking about comfortably now would have been unheard of when I first joined. So it's been super rewarding over the years to really see like a lot of that insights talk and mentality get implemented. I think the pandemic 2020 was a huge milestone for like research that needed to be done now. Like right away, we need answers now, just like every other company out there, I'm sure. And I think we were really able to inform the business in a really challenging time that kind of continue to set us on the trajectory that we are now in 2023 as a trusted voice in the organization.
1: So you mentioned, you know, informing the organization. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, kind of what teams or departments you are actually informing because shopper insights is feeding two different teams than what some people might have experienced within their own organizations.
2: Yeah, so I've been told from a lot of folks at Red Bull who've come from other CPG companies that the way we're set up is a really unique advantage for us. And we are tied really closely to our other Santa Monica based category insights team and we roll up to sales, like I said. So we have another consumer insights team that sits under marketing in a different building and they have a whole host of other problems to go after. But we are very closely entrenched with sales And the sales teams in the field and our category folks in the field are our real stakeholders. So everything we do needs to be actionable and usable for them. And I think the fact that we are so closely tied to them, their retailer partnerships, what's going on in their meetings, what does in-store execution look like, we're able to better help them because we really are closely tied into that. So that's kind of what sets us apart a little bit, I've heard.
1: Yeah, if you could expand on that because being better able to help them in what way what do you do for those teams in particular
2: essentially what we do is answer questions right so they can be simple questions they could be complex questions it's something maybe you could answer in a day or it might take you six months but they know that they can come to us with any type of question and a lot of time these questions are coming from retailers themselves and we've built up such a strong relationship with these retailers and a trust That they come to Red Bull to answer questions, as you alluded to before, on the general beverage landscape, on the entire grocery store landscape, on channel shifting across the US, on what's going on with consumers with their money going less far these days. They come to us to answer all of these types of questions. And when our folks in the field can either bring us in on meetings or bring back insights that we provide them, that helps strengthen their partnership with the retailers and thus our relationship overall. So,
1: that's great. Cool. Thank you for that explanation. Let's talk a little bit about the shopper side of things. So, when we were doing our, you know, pre-work on this episode, I know you had talked to my podcast producer Natalie about your shopper-centric approach. Tell me a little bit more about that. How you define that? What that looks like for you?
2: Yeah, so I think what I have a little bit going for me is that I don't have a completely traditional background. So, I have a little of it from my master's program, but I think that also allows me to not feel constrained by, I think, a lot of maybe traditional ways certain things have been like supposed to be done or whatever. Like, for example, my team could tell you, I hate Likert scales. I never want to do them. We just don't do them. Like, other people can do them. That's great. I don't like them and I don't feel like I have to do them because I get what I need without doing that. So I think that's worked well for me so far. But anyway, in terms of Shopper Insights specifically, we are really focused on. The tools that we have at our disposal. We have a few different things. We have a community, we have shopper panel, and then we do a lot of ad hoc research projects. So it's really kind of about what is the right tool to answer the question that we're getting.
1: So I, you may not know this about me personally, but I have a career prior to joining Greenbook as a qualitative researcher. So that is where I used to live on that side of things. Mm-hmm. So always curious how qual fits into the equation and how you are balancing both qualitative methods, quantitative methods, and any other methods for that matter. What's that like for you internally?
2: Yeah, we definitely do more quant on a day-to-day basis. I'm always itching to do more qual because I think it's so interesting in the times that we have done it. It's been extremely rewarding. In 2020, as I mentioned, we did one of our biggest qual projects, which was extremely informative at the time, doing virtual focus groups. I think for us we just really want to have those really big juicy questions to go after good qual projects and sometimes our day-to-day questions are more simple around like I don't know do you prefer buying this in the cold cashier placement in the front of the store or do you prefer buying it on the warm shelf like sometimes the questions are a little bit simpler and we don't necessarily need to dive into qual but in conjunction with our online community and tools we have at our disposal we also have the ability to get video responses and things like that in small bites so We'll incorporate that in where it makes sense to do so. Yeah,
1: very cool. So one of the things you had mentioned was metrics a little while ago. And again, in in kind of preparation for this, thinking about the ROI of, of insights and your function and what your department does for others. And talk to me a little bit about some of those metrics that you're using. Like, how do you kind of gauge that value that you are providing to the teams that you are working for?
2: So there's the metrics we work with, which are, you know, shopper panel metrics, and then there's metrics of how are we doing, which is a lot more fluid, right, and harder to nail down. When I was kind of thinking about this topic, I think, you know, it really starts with having an advocate for you at the top. And since I've seen Red Bull kind of go on such a expansive journey, increasing our insights capabilities, I've seen that value firsthand of having those people in the beginning that really knew the power of investing in an insights team and, like... Once you do one amazing project, it just snowballs. And if you're lucky enough to have the budget and the sales, then hopefully headcount and resources can come from there. And that's what we've been able to do at Red Bull and what I've seen happen, which has been amazing. In terms of how do we measure the value that we're providing teams? Again, it's kind of a similar situation. It really just takes one person to reach out to us with a business problem or wanting us to come to a meeting, whatever that might be. And the fact that we can either answer their question right away, go tackle a research project to solve it, or come and add value and share at their meeting, they see the value of that because the retailers respond super well to that. So if our retailers and customers are responding well, like that's our metric, that's a win for us. And what again, once like one retailer team sees that, word gets around, it snowballs, our team gets more and more work, it goes from there. So
1: Very cool, very cool. So, you know, thinking about this idea that it's advantageous for you to be kind of shaped the way you are shaped, I keep thinking, what is the challenge for people that are not shaped that way? What do you think are the obstacles for people that don't necessarily report to category teams or even sales on that matter? Like, what's the issue that they might have to face?
2: Yeah, I think we work closely with our counterparts in the marketing side of the organization, and I think their challenge is a bit of a longer lead time in terms of seeing things come to fruition. Whereas I think we move very fast and like we see stuff happen, we see the action that comes from it, we move on to the next thing. I think with them, it can be a little bit harder to kind of get that insight into action right away, just because of the long planning times of marketing and how far out campaigns have to be thought of. And we kind of have the privilege of being able to execute things in store relatively quickly, seeing insights come to life relatively quickly. So I think having been on this side of the business, if I was one day to just drop onto the other side of the business, I think that would be a big challenge for me. And I think innately now I just am so focused on like whatever we're doing has to have some sort of tangible result. I'm as curious as the next person. I want to ask why a million times about everything, but focusing and honing in on what is the tangible result we can get out of this is just what we always try to come back to. So I think that's what I would bring to like any future team that wasn't as, you know, directly in-store sales actionable as we are.
1: Are there things you do to help you stay focused that way? Like, are there any tips, tools, habits, behaviors that you do to help you with that focus?
2: That seems challenging for some people, I bet. Yes. Drink a lot of coffee in Red Bull. <laughs> so I think for me, I mean, having a simple objective never hurts. Always try to go back to that. Also, I think in our community, we like to send out a lot of short surveys Like sometimes one or two questions, sometimes five to six. It's real luxury that we don't have to feel like we can accomplish everything in one survey because we're working with a vendor or whatever. Like it just depends on the problem we're trying to solve. So for me, having a tool that gives you that freedom to stay super sharp and focused is definitely part of it. And that's the luxury we have of having multiple tools at our disposal for sure. If I was not in that situation, I would probably be looking for like very ad hoc tools where I could keep things super focused with a fast turnaround. Because to me, the fast turnaround is the biggest way you're going to prove your value and why your company should invest in you more.
1: Like true facts. That's awesome. Very good. Thank you. I want to go back to one other thing we just talked about too, which was your collaboration with your marketing insights teams. Mm -hmm. So... In my experience, sometimes different insights teams within an organization don't communicate very well. They don't have that good rapport. I mean, I've worked with some organizations where, you know, insights that are feeding marketing are completely separate from insights that are feeding R&D, for example, and some of that early front end of innovation or sensory testing that's happening. And they are really running parallel paths as opposed to that close relationship that it sounds like you're describing. How is that possible in your organization? Are there cultural dynamics in play? Is there sort of an ethos in the company that fosters that for you? What makes that successful relationship?
2: So since I've been at Red Bull, we've had monthly touch bases with our kind of counterpart team. And I think that has really made us all feel like we are united in our insights point of view, and we are there to accomplish a shared insights vision. We're not against each other. It also helps that actually, currently, I think most of the people, not most of the people, but quite a few people on their team have come from the sales organization. So I'm not going to lie, that's very helpful because they get both sides. And so we're able to work very well together. At the end of the day, all of us care about is being curious, making sure what we report is the truth, and doing it in the most actionable and easy to understand way possible. And we're lucky that we're in alignment on that. from there like any issues have nothing to do with us so
1: let's just talk for a minute about behavioral methods for example or applied behavioral science which is you know different from applied consumer psychology yeah. but what are you doing to kind of understand consumer behavior and maybe just shopping behavior but also usage behavior or anything else that's in your purview are there methods
2: you're using or is there anything interesting that you can share with our audience i mean probably nothing no one hasn't heard before but You know, we do like shelf tracking studies to see where optimum placement is. We recently did a consumer decision tree project. We've done max diff analysis. We've done conjoint. I think for us, the way I think about how to really understand shopper behavior is there's a lot of assumptions in the organization. We're all shoppers. We can't remove ourselves from that, right? We all have our own biases. And every single day, it's a struggle for me to be like, okay, this is what I would do, but it's, this is not necessarily what the bulk of energy drink shoppers would do. And the best way for us to attack that is to really just, before we let those biases creep into the organization anymore, is just find out the answer and publicize it as like widely as possible. So that's kind of how I think about that. And then using you know whatever the tools at our disposal are, like I said, we're really focused on quick turnaround, how fast can we get results? And sometimes that doesn't mean doing some long-term in-depth thing. And in fact, I've seen a big pivot away from that since I've been at Red Bull because we just can't wait six months or four months, whatever it may be, because things will have changed by then.
1: Yeah, for sure, so, for sure. We certainly learned that also firsthand that they can change very quickly. Yes. You have to be agile, right? One of the things you had just said was you publicize things widely. Can you give me any examples of how you do publicize or even socialize your work in the organization to help feed some of that decision-making?
2: Yeah, so if it's a question or a need coming from leadership, it's as simple as like sending them an email or walking over to them as quick as possible. If it's needed for more of a broader audience, we have a monthly sales call. We report all our sales numbers, share all of that. And our team kind of will insert ourselves if we have something really important to share. My team also just started our own podcast type of share out. Literally like two weeks ago, we did our first one. And it's kind of like this really casual conversation, but we're talking about insights, sharing a few slides, and we send that out to a huge list. So that's also going to be a vehicle for us to make sure people are hearing kind of what's top of mind and getting it right, because we're going to tell them how to use the data because shopper data can be kind of tricky sometimes. So we try to really break it down and make it simple. And then we have a quarterly newsletter we send out. So, you know, just a bag of tricks. Yeah, a bag of tricks. Well, that's what you <laughs> need sometimes, right? You need yeah. to do what works, you know, when it reaches different
1: people, what's going to land. So. Right. Kudos to you for doing a lot of those things. I love it. So let's just switch gears for just a minute and start to talk about your shoppers, right? Who is the typical Red Bull consumer? We have some hypotheses on our end, things that we've talked about, but I'd love to hear from you and then I'll tell you what my perceptions are and and we'll just share.
2: Yeah, so I think in my experience, it's sometimes different than people might assume. To me, it's more of a life stage than a demographic and not necessarily just a life stage, but like a working situation, the mental situation that week or that month, whatever you might be going through at that moment. I mean, demographically, yes, we're probably talking in like the 25 to 50 range is the bulk of consumption. But really, like, for example, we know parents rely heavily on Red Bull and probably energy drinks as a whole. So whether you're a parent at 27 or a parent at 37, you're probably going to be having like similar needs of consumption, similar just pain points in life, whatever that may be. So we would kind of bucket that person into that's their consumption occasion. It doesn't really matter what their age is.
1: Yeah. Yeah, their moment of usage is based on the, you know whatever they're going through in that right. in, at that time. Yeah. So yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. So we have somebody on our team. You just met a Bridget. Shout out to Bridget. She's um, amazing events coordinator for us, but she is also a Red Bull fan and she always has a Red Bull with her. She, you know, starts off her day with it. I'm a coffee drinker and yet we all make sure that we make sure she has her Red Bull too. So... What's funny to me is when she talks about it, I've always had this moment of, I've never had a Red Bull. One of these days, I'm going to have a Red Bull. So this is my moment where I'm going hey. to try Red Bull for the first time. I'll report back in. Sarah's team is here. They're like watching. They're clapping their hands for people listening at home. So let's do this. We're going to make that sound right. right up here by our mics. Right? Ready? Yep. <laughs> proof. Proof that that is happening. Natalie's recording it. That's why she's a star and our producer, folks. Okay, here we go. Ready? Oh, it's so interesting. It's so much sweeter and fruitier than I would have thought. I don't know what I expected, but I had that sensory moment of smelling the fruit. Mm -hmm. And what flavor am I consuming here? This is our original sugar-free. Original sugar-free. All right. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, It's a very different. Oh, this is so interesting, people. This is what's going to happen is now I'm suddenly going to like this. Oh, I get it. Now the vodka Red Bull makes sense. It's delicious. So, again, really cool. Thank you. I'm going to actually enjoy this and probably not sleep tonight. But this is very low calorie. And I don't know how much caffeine is in red. This is like 80 milligrams. It's like a cup of coffee. So, all right. Depends how sensitive you are. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens later. It's not like I'm not pretty caffeinated. So, but super cool. Now, here's what I was going to say like, testing my assumptions, right? I know that you have this extreme sport community, right? You really lean into that. Yeah. Let me tell you some of the videos that Natalie, our producer, had me watching about, you know, the like Red Bull Rapids. Like, we even had it up in our staff room here at IIAX. We're watching these videos. Our managing director's coming over to check out the videos. Like, hours of entertainment. You're doing some really amazing stuff in that space. Talk to me about that and and how that goes hand-in-hand with your brand and what those users are like.
2: Yeah, so first have to give the disclaimer that I'm on the sales side of the business, so I'm not as involved in all of that fun, (laughs) sexy marketing as one might want to be. But yes, I am also familiar with all of those videos. They pop up on my LinkedIn a lot these days, which usually LinkedIn was like not as interesting as as it is lately, but they're clearly doing something right. I mean, all that content's amazing. I think that's really what we're known for. I think that has driven millions of people to love the brand and hopefully the product over the past 25 years without a doubt. Formula One show, of course, also, I think, added a lot to that. I know we have a lot of Formula Fit One fans everywhere I go and largely friends of that show, and that helped me get into it as well. But I will also say, like, is that relatable for the everyday person? I don't know. Not necessarily for me. And that's why I appreciate that Red Bull also has athletes that are, like, focused on more, less hardcore sports, like soccer, tennis, all of that kind of more everyday type of stuff. We also support dancers, artists, esports athletes, all different kinds of things. Like the world of Red Bull is very vast and diverse. And to me, that is a great thing because I think the more people that can see themselves in the brand, the better. And also, you know, as we alluded to, most people that are consuming Red Bull are doing it either driving to work while they're at work, before working out, partying with friends, like very normal everyday occasions. So, As long as people are able to kind of have that resonate back to their everyday, more like mundane type of thing, I think that's amazing. Yeah. We might not all be trying to like fly craft airplanes. Yeah. No, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Have you been to those events where have you been able to get to some of them? I actually have not. I think I'm owed a ticket. I think you're owed a ticket. (laughs) Like I said, I don't work on that side of the business and it shows when I haven't been to an event.
1: So you know, let's get that marketing team to kind of say, all right, we're bringing in on some of this. (laughs) Yeah, let's make sure of that too. Super cool. What are some of the things, Sarah, that you've been hearing recently? Like when we talk about consumers and consumer behavior, like, either some trends that are not proprietary. I'm not asking you to share anything proprietary here, but is there anything you're able to share about just consumer behavior and, and trends that we're on and things that either people in other categories can learn from or just other businesses can learn from about what's happening in the state of the consumer right now?
2: Yeah, a couple of things come to mind. So again, as we kind of alluded to earlier, my team has looked to, to provide insights across the macroeconomic landscape. They ex- people expect us to know everything. We certainly don't, but we try our best to have a pulse on what's going on. Some of the things, especially recently during inflationary times, what have you, I think there's been a lot of talk of what we see people shifting to private label in terms of everything that they're buying across like the grocery store. And I think we've seen that happen a little bit with certain categories, but there has not been as big of a shift as people might have thought. And I think that's really interesting, especially when I think of my own behavior. That's True as well. Like people are still buying the brands that they love and they have to pay a little more for them. Like it hurts, but they're willing to do it. And I think that's been really interesting as a researcher to see the power of that and how much it really continues to provide value to people's lives, whether it's Red Bull or whether it's you know tide detergent, whatever it is. I think that's really interesting that we've seen that continue. Also, I think, especially coming out of the pandemic, there was a lot of trends. People assumed we're gonna stick around. I think maybe people thought we'll never go shopping in a grocery store again. That is certainly not proven to be the case either. Certainly saw plenty of e-com growth. And I think people adopting maybe some ship to home or drive up and whatever pickup at the store that they may not have otherwise. But I think by and large, we're seeing that people really love the in-store shopping experience and they're not going to completely give that up. They might augment it with some e-commerce methodologies, but I think the in-store experience is here to stay. So those are some of the things my team and I kind of noodle on month to month. I love that in in terms of noodling, right? To (laughs) use that word right
1: back at you is, you know, I'm thinking about my own behavior as well. And I'm like, oh, that's really interesting when our money is, you know, being you know, with a feeling the constraints. Stretched. Yeah. And economic, yeah, it's being stretched. Thank you for help. Thank you. <laughs> when that happens, are we making those trade-offs or are we saying, yeah, no, I'm going to be convicted with this one? So it yeah. sounds like Red Bull is something that people are convicted enough about that they're like not making a sacrifice there. So kudos to you for doing that. And, and I wonder why that is. Like, you know, again, I think about applied consumer psychology, right? And we're thinking about applied behavioral science. And I try to think about like, why do you think that is? Hypothesizing, this is not based in facts, but Why do you think people are not making those trade-offs, but they're sticking with this particular brand or any of their favorite
2: brands? I mean, it's the power of brands. Like I have my own brands that I love, you know, outside of the energy category that the price would have to probably go up a hundred times for me to stop buying them or something crazy like that. Like my team knows there's a few things I talk about all the time. And I think it's wild to see how powerful that is. And I think this is the perfect example of like how, you know, maybe something like extreme sports videos is ultimately going to filter down to somebody saying, no, that's my brand of choice. And like, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. I mean, to me, this is the fun part of the job, right? When we get to do these hypotheses and yeah.
1: and say, why do you think that is right? let yeah. just talk about it. Totally. So anyway, very, very cool. The other part of that, I think that the in-store experience. I, for one, I was one of those humans that like, I love grocery deliveries. Actually, we were just talking about that recently with my team. Is if, if I can order something online and grocery show up at my house, I'm really happy. And I've also recently had beverages shipped to my house as well that I'm like, oh, all right, this isn't a local brand. I'll have it shipped to my house. Like I love to experiment with those different modes. And I have wondered like how many people are going back to, you know, a more traditional shopping experience versus doing that experimentation. And did the pandemic just kind of tip us over like, was that really all it took to just say, you know what? These things can work for me in my lifestyle. Or is that just a blip? Is this all going to revert back? I don't know. I don't yeah. know.
2: Yeah, well, it sounds like you're one of the folks who really enjoys those different like delivery methodologies and has stuck with it. So I know you all are out there. So this is why we can't assume that like there's any sort of one type of behavior going on, right? There's a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even
1: toilet paper, full disclosure, like even toilet paper, like I discovered a, a, you know, a niche brand that delivered toilet paper to our house during the pandemic. And now my kids are like, when are you ordering toilet paper again? And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're so funny. Like they want the big (laughs) box of toilet paper to show up at the house. They think it's amazing. And actually one of my kids, now I'm taking a total sidebar, one of my kids like, like said she has her college apartment that she's moving into first time in a college apartment. And she goes, can I get a box of that toilet paper for our apartment? And I'm like, can't you just go to the grocery store and buy anything? But no, she's like, you know, I've spoiled her. I, you know, raising a child a privilege, I suppose, but that's brand love. And I know it's brand love. So that happens too. Like if you're willing to pay for it to be shipped to your house and then you're, or able to, I shouldn't just say it's willing and able, but then it ships and you love it, then you'll do it again. Anyway, so talk to me a little bit about that brand love. Like, what are some of the behaviors you've seen with people with Red Bull? Like, what are some of the the stories you might be able to share about just what people are willing to do for your brand?
2: Oh, my gosh. I mean, people will tag Red Bull on a lot of crazy social media posts. So I've seen some weird things out there. But mainly, I think just the sheer amount of consumption. Like, there are people out there who would gladly drink, like, multiple cans a day. And those we literally, like, call those our brand lovers, like can lovers. They love it. And I think one of the things we kind of discovered during the pandemic is people have emotional reliance on certain products, which I think we all do, you know, whether like food and beverage or something else. But we found that the people that really rely on Red Bull were really relying on it to get them through hard times. Just as I was relying on like my Nespresso machine, like same same general idea. Like it greeted me every morning and I was happy to see it. But I think really, for me, that unlocked the fact that like, this is a very powerful product to people and they literally use it to get through the day, whether that's as an Uber driver, a teacher, someone sitting at a computer all day, like whatever it is, the need and the association of like positivity is extremely strong. And I have never downplayed it, especially since then. So That's so funny you say that.
1: I'm a coffee drinker, as we discussed earlier, and I were staying at an Airbnb this week and I brought my, Keur- my portable Keurig with me because oh, wow. I, I travel with it. And <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, all right, she's a little extra about the coffee. But it really is <laughs> that important to me to yeah. have a single cup of coffee as soon as I wake up. That's sort of my morning ritual. It's really important to me. And I have this portable coffee maker because when I was a young mother, I didn't want to go downstairs when my kids would wake up. So, I kept it in my master bathroom, and I would have my first cup of coffee before I even left my bedroom. So, the kids wouldn't even know I was awake. And I think, like, it was there for me when I was at a stage of my life where I really needed it the most. So, anyway, I could totally go on this, like, sidebar conversation about brand love and yeah. that, that real, like, um, what a, what that does, to, like, you're an espresso machine. But I'm okay, not well, here to
2: talk about coffee. But yes, go ahead. It's funny that you say that because I have a puppy, and he sleeps in the other room. And I've had the same conversation with my husband, of like, should we bring the coffee machine in here so I won't get like accosted first? He's like, no, but like, I think I'm going to wear him down at some yeah, point. Wear him down. It has
1: it worked for me like a charm. And it became like this magical moment for me in the morning because I felt like I was getting away with something and I didn't have to be responsible yet. Right. Yeah. So it developed. Totally. It, it was just yeah. a wonderful thing. So yes. Tell him I said so. Okay, And say, if he wants to have a conversation, give him my my phone number. Okay. All right. There's like another topic I really want to talk to you about before we start to wrap. And that is, you can't walk around this venue and hear some of the content without being like, AI is here and this is a very high-tech event. So I'm pretty curious as to what Red Bull's plans are for either AI kind of integrating into your world or even just tech in general. Like, what are you doing to kind of lean into the current you know, push towards
2: this? Yes, I've never seen so many sessions with the name AI in them. So that's for sure happening. I found Lauren's presentation really interesting this morning on, you know, how they've kind of tested ChatGPT against some of their surveys, how much it can really accomplish. And my team and I talk about this a lot. And we want to make sure that we do choose to use it. We use it very responsibly and in the right way and kind of maybe dip a toe in. So I think from that presentation, I really gleaned that garbage in, garbage out is probably the most valuable thing that I heard. I think it can be a good starting point for question brainstorming or whatever it might be. Like we've played around with sentiment analysis and things like that just to see what it does. But I think, I don't know, my friends would call me a tech grandma. I'm not the first person to adopt any of these things. I don't need the new iPhone right when it comes out, but I do take what he said, which is that this is coming whether we like it or not. So I do think we need to familiarize ourselves with it, figure out how we can use it on our team. But that said, our team has not super widely adopted anything like that yet. We have a data science team at Red Bull who knows what they're doing. They're probably even light years ahead of that. I don't even want to know, but we're dipping a toe in is what I would say. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's interesting when you say dipping a toe in because the conversation I was having earlier today with another attendee was you know, At Green Book, we're a media company. It's a little different, but we're actively swimming. We're not in the deep end yet, but we're actively swimming. So I think it's really interesting, the pool metaphor. <laughs> yeah, the pool metaphor is like alive and well for this because we know it really can be an ocean, right? And it feels like if we go out just a little too far, we might go under. So we are all are being very cautious, but also very mindful about what we're doing in that space. So thank you for sharing a little bit about that. I do hope I have to say on some level that you leave here or everybody leaves here with some empowered feelings about AI instead of that trepidation. Like I, that that's one of our wishes, you know, that you hear this content and you feel like, all right, we know exactly what we're doing. And, and I wish you luck navigating it because it's not easy for any of us, but if anybody can do it, I'm sure you can just based (laughs) on what I'm hearing. (laughs) Hope so. (laughs) We'll see. Yeah. So I did get my five minute warning. So let me ask you this before I wrap. Is there a question that you wish I had asked you that I didn't get to?
2: I mean, I always love talking about why I love working at Red Bull, so please. happy to touch on that. Yes, please do. For me, Red Bull is like the perfect combination of kind of benefits of a startup, but also the financial backing of a really established company. And I have found that to be true the past seven years. Always been given a ton of agency to solve problems the way I think they should be solved. Be creative, try new things, not be afraid to mess up. And that has been an amazing environment to work in over the years. And that's why I've stayed there as long as I have. And I try to impart the same values on my team as well and let them solve problems the way that they would see fit. And then, of course, everyone says this, but the people are amazing. Met some of my best friends working at Red Bull. My team is awesome. And I think it's just everyone is just genuinely nice people and almost on the whole, like truly a pleasure to work with. And, you know, we spend more time with these people than anyone else, right? Which is always weird to think about. So they better be people you enjoy spending time with. So that's how I think of it. So, So yes, Red Bull is an awesome place to work. I've been super lucky.
1: That's great. Well, and it sounds like at a higher level, they respect the work you're doing. Yes. And, you know, I think that speaks volumes when you feel respected at work also, right, for what you're able to contribute. And they're looking at your metrics and that ROI. And so you feel like, you know what, I'm providing value and it's being recognized. So it sounds like a great place to work. It is, it
2: is, absolutely. Cool. So what is next for either you or for Red Bull? What's on the horizon so our summer edition, June Berry, just launched about a month ago. So I hope if everyone has not tried it yet, please go out and try it. It should be in all retailers near you. It is delicious. And I can't wait to see how that resonates with our consumer. We'll probably be doing some more research on that as the summer goes on. We'll see it'll, it'll become a permanent edition those of you who are brand fans might know, our summer editions often become permanent editions if they do well. So that is what is coming up for us next.
1: Very cool. Very cool. Shout out to everybody listening. Where could they either reach you or, or
2: learn more about your company? Well, we have a pretty established online presence. So I think if you go looking, you'll find us and then you can find me on LinkedIn. All right. That's great. I want to thank
1: you so much for this conversation, for your time today, for being here at our event and for sharing this podcast stage with me. I want to thank Natalie Push, our podcast producer. I couldn't do the work that I do without her. She really is amazing. Thank you so much, Natalie. I'm going to shout out to James, our audio editor. I don't know if he's editing this episode, but James, thank you for everything that you do. And to all of our listeners, Thank you so much for tuning in each week. We appreciate you and are so grateful that you are helping to co create the future of Insights with us. Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Join Greenbook for the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange. This global conference series, also known as IIEX, is where connections are made, inspiration is found, and innovative solutions are discovered. With more than 90% of attendees using IIEX insights to shape strategic business decisions, the return on investment is undeniable. Whether you're in Asia Pacific, North America, Europe, or Latin America, IIEX is your gateway to the latest market research best practices, tech innovation, and strategies for transporting insights into action. Nurture your career and business with insights from across the globe. And here's a bonus. Use the special code podcast to save 20% on general admission for all IIEX events. Visit greenbook.org slash events today to learn more and register. See you there.